WCAI in Woods Hole and WGBH Radio Boston, this is Living Lab Radio. I'm Heather Goldstone. In the early hours of December 9th, the volcano known as Wakari, or White Island, off the northern coast of New Zealand erupted, killing several people. Wakari is New Zealand's most active volcano. It's also a popular tourist destination, and there were more than three dozen people on the island when the eruption happened. Volcanic activity there is closely monitored, but there was no advanced warning about this eruption. This tragic event highlights just how hard it can be to predict volcanic eruptions and how much scientists still have to learn about the inner workings of volcanoes. Jess Phoenix, known to many as Volcano Jess, is a geologist, and she's the executive director and co-founder of the nonprofit environmental science organization Blueprint Earth. Jess, welcome to Living Lab Radio. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here, although I wish it was under better circumstances. Yeah, we all do. So Wakari is New Zealand's most active volcano, and it's actually known uh, for a variety of different types of eruptions. So can you just describe uh, the most recent eruption? What seems to be going on there? Sure. So what we know so far is that it was a phreatic eruption, which is another fancy way of saying steam-driven. That means that this was not primarily um, like a, a giant explosive event with tons of magma. This was something where pressure had been building up uh, just beneath the surface of the volcano for many months. And uh, essentially, it boiled the water that is present in the volcano's plumbing system. And when that happens, this, this water gets so superheated and so pressurized that it essentially flashes to steam. And uh, it can move at supersonic speeds. And the water that would have come out during the eruption, and well, at this point, steam, would have been about 300 degrees Fahrenheit. And at this Mm. point, uh, we don't have any evidence that there was magma involved yet. But that doesn't mean that we won't find that uh, in the coming days when people are able to visit the island. Also, that steam-driven eruption can produce lava bombs and what we call ejecta, which is basically just things being thrown around, whether they're small rock fragments or large chunks of rock, which we have had reports that people who were present saw big chunks of rock flying. And, uh, mm. and of course, we did see ash output as well uh, from the eruption. And we could see from the photographic images, you could see that helicopters uh, that were there were covered in ash. And that just gives you a bit of perspective about how forceful these phreatic eruptions can be. You mentioned that pressure had been building up for months and this volcano is closely monitored uh, for activity in, in hopes of predicting when there might be an eruption. What kinds of metrics, what kinds of things are actually being monitored on a regular basis to get a sense of whether or not an eruption might be imminent? Well, the the government agency tasked with monitoring volcanic activity in New Zealand is GeoNet. And GeoNet has uh, sensor arrays on many volcanoes, uh, pretty much all of the ones that could be uh, active and, and have an eruption there in New Zealand. Now, this particular one has seismic arrays monitoring it, uh, as well as what we call tilt meters, which uh, how the, that's how they get information about the volcanoes inflating and deflating uh, in the magma chamber. That basically, those tilt meters can measure changes in the ground surface on you know down to a millimeter scale in some instances. Uh, since I, I haven't actually been part of researching this volcano. 
I can't say, you know, how many of these they had or what the sensitivity was, but based on um, current best practices on volcanoes around the world, it's safe to say that New Zealand is going to have state-of-the-art equipment uh, monitoring the volcano. And, of course, scientists would go to the volcano and measure gas emissions in person. And that includes not just gas composition, but also temperatures of gas. And so those were some of the basics of monitoring that I can say for sure that they had in place. Um, but, you know, there may have been other sensors out there aside from seismometers, tilt meters, um, gas monitoring equipment, and of course, web cameras. Well, Jess Phoenix, as you've said, you haven't been studying this volcano uh, specifically, but you have been kind of active on Twitter uh, in recent days saying, hey, look, even with all of that information, it's still really hard to predict when an eruption is going to happen. Why is that? We can't actually predict eruptions at all. Uh, prediction isn't a word that volcanologists use because a prediction would imply that we could tell you when um, or how big an eruption would be. When in reality, we're just trying to get better at forecasting eruptions, which is essentially saying that there is a likelihood of an eruption and what that likelihood might be. So the difference between, you know, we I guess we throw around the word predicting, you know, when we're talking about the weather as well. But, yes. you know, the difference between saying... Uh, it will rain at 2.15 on Friday afternoon, as opposed to there's a really good chance that it's going to rain on Friday. Exactly. And so the latter, the the forecast is what we are working on improving all the time in volcano monitoring. And uh, the reason that it's so difficult is that volcanoes are incredibly complex systems. And we actually can't get probes down deep into the plumbing of a volcano. Uh, it's so hot. It's so oftentimes acidic. There's so much pressure. And a lot of times, you know, for a system to become pressurized, you actually have to have a cap on it. So, you know, you've got like lava that has solidified from previous eruptions, sometimes capping uh, vents or, or conduits up to the surface. So these are systems that are a lot of times fairly closed off. And we do surface level monitoring and monitoring of seismic waves uh, and seismic activity. That is kind of how we take an x-ray uh, of our patient as opposed to, say, you know, open abdominal cavity surgery where you can really look around and see what's going on in there. Also, and we're seeing this particularly with this eruption, is that some indicators can show increases and others can show decreases. And it's never certain what combination of factors means an eruption is imminent. In this instance, the seismic levels, the seismic activity had increased somewhat in the weeks preceding this eruption. However, um, the, the temperature of the gases being released had dropped. The um, sulfur dioxide output had increased. So you see we have two things increasing, hmm. one thing decreasing, and nobody can say because every volcano is unique, just like you or I, and even different eruptions on the same volcano are unique. And that level of complexity means that improving our forecasting is really the end goal. Obviously, the holy grail of volcanology would be to predict an eruption accurately, but realistically, we can't do that. And so we need to focus on refining our forecasting work. And that's what we try to do every day with our work. You know, you raised this issue that every volcano is unique, and, and I was about to ask about that. I mean, 
Is it possible to start drawing from the data that we have from other recent eruptions? I know there was one um, at Wakari in 2016, but one isn't a big data set to try to base, uh, you know, other forecasts on. Is it possible to start pulling from eruptions at other volcanoes and find similarities, parallels uh, that, that might help improve forecasts at one particular volcano? Well, we can do that, but there's also danger in in doing that as well because each eruption is so different. Um, you know, we a good example is the 1980 eruption of Mount St. Helens. Until that eruption, we did not know that volcanoes could erupt in that fashion, like with that with that volume of eruption, with that intensity mm. out the side. Mount St. Helens was a lateral blast. And so uh, what we have to do is look to the rock record. Um, that's what we, we look at as geologists. We are very often historians of the planet. So we can look at Wakari and, and say, you know, okay, what has it done in human history? What has it done the last time and the previous time before that? But even then, we are, we are painting a picture essentially in the dark. So it's a little bit more complicated uh, than just saying what happened last time. We can learn. We can say, oh, Mount St. Helens showed us that lateral blasts are possible. But that does not mean that every volcano is going to erupt laterally ever. You know, it, it may if the circumstances are right. But the most important thing to remember is that volcanoes are true forces of nature. And we are human. We don't control forces of nature. And we are still learning. The planet's history is 4.54 billion years old. And we have been doing science uh, on volcanoes in what we consider the modern era of volcanology since 1980. <laughs> That's, yeah, not a long time in the grand yeah. scheme of things. I wonder, though, if you had to try to make a different kind of forecast. I mean, how long might it take to be able to have more accurate forecasts, um, to maybe even eventually be able to predict eruptions? Or is that something that falls into a category that maybe is just not knowable? It would be nice to say, oh, someday, you know, hopefully we'll be able to predict eruptions. And I do. I do say that because I genuinely would love to be able to do that. Uh, we have 500 million people around the world living in the shadow of active volcanoes. So they could be directly impacted by an eruption. That is a huge number of people who require us to have a better grasp of volcanoes and what they can do. I think it is much more realistic uh, to think about in your lifetime, in my lifetime, better forecasting of eruptions. I think that's what we need to be shooting for. And that is what every volcano monitoring agency I've ever worked with does every single day. And that really involves uh, a lot of research. And that requires funding. That requires countries that have active volcanoes to invest in monitoring, to invest in educating the next generation of geoscientists who can help us uh, understand the volcanoes. And then, of course, we can't forget science communication, disaster communication. We need to get accurate information out, not just the scary stuff, not just the, the horrifying stuff, but really the facts to the best of our knowledge. To your point about getting accurate information out to the public, as we've discussed, this volcano is monitored by a group called GeoNet, and, and the hazard level was actually raised uh, last month. But the New Zealand government is, is now pursuing, they've said, cr a criminal investigation to see if there was any wrongdoing in this case. And I wonder what your response to that is as someone who has participated in this research trying to improve 
volcano forecasts to see that this might be under investigation? Of course, it's it's always important that we get the facts about any disaster, any sort of tragedy like this. Um, so I understand the government opening a criminal investigation because I certainly hope that nobody acted negligently. Obviously, I really hope that everyone there, everyone involved was acting with the, the safety of the visitors in mind. But of course, the investigation could reveal something that we as observers on the outside don't know. So I really do think it is it is correct for due diligence to be performed in this investigation because we, we can only make people safer if we learn from what has happened in the past. That's geologist Jess Phoenix, also known to many as Volcano Jess. Thanks so much for talking with us. Thank you. Up next, this year's Arctic report card and an expedition to understand sea ice by getting stuck in it. Stay tuned. 